0: Hi everyone, thanks for joining. This is Seeking Sustainability Live number 139. Today we have Karen Hill Anton with us and uh, we're talking about her wonderful new memoir that she just came out with and we will be right back so please stay tuned. (laughs) Hi everyone, thanks for joining. It's a beautiful day in Japan, where I am. How about you, Karen? Couldn't
1: be more beautiful. Just came back from the park, in fact, for a morning walk. And the maples are just beginning to turn. The ginkgo trees are yellow. The sky is completely blue and and not a cloud.
0: (laughs) I love, love this time of year. It's gorgeous.
1: So do I. It's, It's my favorite
0: so i am so excited to have you on i'm a big fan of yours and i was so happy to read your book and i connected with so much of your life story it really hit me not only as a long-term resident of japan um but so much of your travels through europe and your life so thank you so much for all of your beautiful writing
1: thank you and thank you so much for a compliment and i it's been my pleasure to share my writing with a an appreciative audience.
0: Wow, great. I, I'm sure you've gotten a lot of um, positive response. So you kind of, it was a culmination when you started writing, you were writing for the Japan Times, you did a column for many mm-hmm. years. And uh, you're also consulting and running seminars, doing life coaching, it looks like. You've done a variety of work in Japan, but even before you came, as I learned through your book, you were a dancer, you were a chef, you (laughs) enjoyed traveling, so I think we're going to enjoy a lot of different topics today. Thank you so much for joining the series.
1: Oh, it's it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me.
0: Wonderful. Um, Should we start with the book and... uh, Go sure. through parts of the book. So in the beginning of your memoir, or before we start, why don't you talk a little bit about how you got inspired to write it all down and publish a, a memoir? Yeah.
1: Well, the, I, I think the inspiration came just, you know, from, from my life. And I realized that, um, of course, you know, I, I've known for quite a long time, my life has been somewhat unusual. I don't like to say unique because everyone's life is okay. unique. But, I mean, something as simple as having driven from Europe to Afghanistan in a Volkswagen bug with a five-year-old, not many people can say that. Okay. So um, I, I, I knew I had I had a story uh, to tell. And I also knew many people were interested in it. And, of course, I had a, a, well, now they say platform, but um, I would say a devoted readership from my Japan Times column, Crossing Cultures. And I realized many people only knew that part of my life. And I certainly didn't, you know, I didn't come into the world uh, full-blown in, in Japan. You know, there was quite a bit before and, and of course, after I stopped writing the column. And I, I was prepared to, to share it.
0: That's wonderful. Um, I love the quotes from your book. Uh, a few times you say um, the same kind of, of set, not set phrase, but expression, you say, I never thought I'd become a mama, but I did. My kids call me mama, so I guess I'm a mama. I never expected to live in the middle of nowhere in the rural countryside in Japan, but we did. And I wonder if you have the same sentiment about your book. Never intended to write a book, but I did. Here it is. It's such a humble, beautiful way to express parts of your life, big parts of your life. (laughs)
1: Well, in the case
0: of...
1: um... Uh, with uh, becoming a mother, I say that because I didn't have a mother myself, I didn't think that I would, you know, um, yeah, be able to take on th- that role. And But I am a mother, and I may be faking it, I, I say, but my children call me mama, and they seem to mean it. And, yeah, it was just... Um, I, I think that I was able to, to accept that role and, you know, learn a, as, um, you know, we went along. And in the same way, going to live in Futokoroyama, Mountain, Breast Pocket the Mountain, it wasn't really part of a plan, but we decided, you know, this is what we're doing, going to live in this old farmhouse and, yeah, just began to, to do it. But with writing the book, I actually began uh, quite a few years ago, Uh, probably, well, I don't know if it's 10 years, but, you know, I had notes and, you know, I thought about it, but I wasn't going anywhere with it. And, yeah, I I guess it was about three years ago I realized, well, you know, I want to get serious about this. I'd, I'd like to do it. And it's really quite a lot of work. I'm not 20 years old, I'm not 30 years old, I'm not even 40 years old. I've been alive a long time. And my experience is, is actually uh, quite wide. So how to make it a story, That, that was, a, was a big challenge. It was really a big challenge. I like, I like to think I, I met the challenge.
0: Yeah, I, I think you did. I think um, you will touch a lot of people and spark a lot of ideas in many different ways because of this book. And it's not just about your life in Japan. It starts in New York with your childhood and being raised by your dad.
1: That's correct.
0: Do you want to talk about your dad a little bit? I saw on Instagram you said you've inherited his smile. I,
1: I believe I have, and so have my children, and and I say that too in, in in the memoir that when I was a young girl, and people would often say, "Oh, you look just like your father," and I would think, "Well, what what young girl wants to be told she looks like a man?" <laughs> you know? Even though I love my father, you know, I never wanted to, to hear that, but. As the years went on, I can say I'm, I'm okay with that and that I am happy that I and my children have inherited his generous smile. Uh, that's a quote from, from the book. I suppose my father was an unusual man in, in some way, especially at the time that he was um, raising a, um, a, a family without a, a partner, without um, our mother and he just accepted the responsibility and the role wholeheartedly of course as a child i never thought about that you know that uh, that he was exceptional in, in in some way i i didn't know anything else but in the book i you know say clearly the things he did the, the kind of person he was the daily habits, he had the, the household responsibilities he assumed that at, and at a time when, one, uh, certainly men were not doing th- these things, but also, I mean, so little was automated. We never had a washing machine, for example, and we, my father washed clothes by hand, he sewed, he ironed, he mended, he cooked, he baked. <laughs> And, you know, also, um, of course, you know, I had a, had a job, but yeah, the, the, that's that's what I knew. That was my experience growing up.
0: So maybe those kind of uh, more basic ways to grow up helped you when you actually moved to Breast Pocket Mountain, because your first home experience was quite hard work. I remember in the book, you're talking about how your chores would basically take up most of your day.
1: They absolutely did. Well, because it was an old uh, farmhouse and uh, as I write in the book, it didn't have even one convenience beginning with hot water, which is pretty basic. But yeah, at the time we were young, And energetic and completely accepted it. And in fact, when we first saw the house, we thought oh yeah, this is it. (laughs) Like, this is the Japan we've been, you know, dreaming of or imagined and didn't even really think about the fact so much oh, there's no hot water or a heating system or flush toilet. None of these things, you know, Per, um, I would say, presented any particular impediment to, to living there. We thought it was ideal in, in many ways, just because it was so beautiful. It was really uh, beautiful. And w- when we decided to live in the country, it, it, it was, uh, uh, I, I would say, a, a clear choice of ours when we were... Knew we were going to stay in Japan, but we didn't want to live in Tokyo or Kyoto or Osaka or any of the uh, big cities. Mainly because we wanted to raise our children in a a country environment, and Futokuroyama, Breast Pocket Mountain, was a perfect place in many ways.
0: Yeah, it looked. Uh, In your book, I'm showing the picture now, your house is surrounded completely by forests. This is like an aerial view. I've got another picture on screen now of your husband and a friend carrying out from the binjo. Uh, That seemed like your least favorite chore, which I can completely identify with.
1: (laughs) I'm happy to say I never had to participate in that chore. It was actually heavy work to carry those buckets. I don't know that that I could have, but fortunately we had our friend Ron who would come and when it was necessary to do this chore, he'd show up and help Bill do it. That's work, amazing. What can I say?
0: Yeah. You, can't, you can't ask for a better friend than that. No, you can't. And it seems like you, your whole family was very accepted by the community in many ways. And you also were a very active part of the community. And you talk about uh, being asked to be a part of things, to be asked to uh, clean the shrine. To be asked to be part of the PTA as a part of your initial and I assume ongoing forever experience in Japan. That's Japanese culture,
1: right? It absolutely is, and that's something I understood very early on that I we were expected to participate, and I and I think the fact that we were willing to it didn't present any particular problem that. There was never any issue about being accepted in the community and there was never any question that oh we wouldn't be noticed or p- people wouldn't you know see that we're a foreign family uh, and you know come look completely different from anyone for a hundred kilometers but the fact that you know, we did what was expected of us, we, we did our part, we participated, we cooperated. I, I feel that it more than opened doors, it it made room for, for us in, in the society, in the community in which we had chosen to live.
0: Yeah, definitely. And your husband was uh, doing the shakuhachi in your home, and you started doing calligraphy. Um, So you were both kind of diving into the Japanese arts as a way to connect as well. That's
1: true. So I don't think we did it so much as uh, a way to connect as we both had interest in in those things. Uh, My my husband always wanted to learn shakuhachi, found a class. And, and did that for some years, and we would hold concerts actually in our home because it, it was perfect in, in in many ways. Because it was a traditional house of wood and paper and tatami mats, so for instruments like koto and shakuhachi, it was perfect for the the sound. It, I, I I would uh, think in many ways. And my interest in calligraphy was, I I can't say for sure where it began, but I always had loved the experience of writing. And I say in the memoir, it probably came from my father, who was always a very particular, really, about writing letters and what kind of pen he used and what kind of ink. Of course, he didn't write with a brush, but he had incredible penmanship, uh, truly beautiful. I, I don't have uh, in front of me a, a sample of it, but I, I, I could show it to you. It's really uh, quite exceptional. And I, I mentioned in the memoir, uh, shopping list written by my, my father was something you would not want to keep. I mean, that's how beautiful his handwriting was. And so coming to Japan, just being able to yeah, immerse myself in the world of writing from the aspect of shodal, the way of writing, and learning to write with with a brush, I, I felt it was a natural progression in, in in many ways.
0: And you were quite committed to taking classes. Tell us Very, about your journey that you would take to get to the classes.
1: Yeah it was a, a commitment and because when i began we were uh, still living at futokoroyama breast pocket mountain and to get to the class in shizuoka city was really a round trip journey of that I, I think it was 4 hours one way because i had to drive to the station in the city and then uh, take um, the, the local train to shizuoka and i and i remember there were wooden stairs. No no one who goes to the station in Hamamatsu City today will remember, well, I would say no one, I mean, people my age will re- remember that there were wooden stairs. And I can remember running up those stairs to, to catch the, the local train. Of course, now everything is, is, well, stainless steel and, and escalators and elevators, but it uh, that wasn't the case then. And then I would take a, a bus and then and walk to his, his home, and, uh, which was uh, also um, quite a waste. It, it was a, a, a journey. And then sit and watch while he corrected the, the work of the other uh, students who were studying with him and then my work. And then take the, the journey home again. And it, it, it was in pretty much a, a full day. But I was so enamored uh, of calligraphy uh, from the very beginning, really from the very beginning and I just thought yeah, I, I'm going to do this. That's all. And and I, and I was never interested in, in receiving any um, certification or levels or, or anything like that. But I, I did over time and now I can say I've, I've studied for more than 30 years and I'm I'm not an expert. <laughs> I'm far still far from an expert, but I absolutely love it still uh, and continue to to do it. I I don't study anymore, but I continue to write.
0: That's wonderful, and I I think that's the main thing, right? It, if you still find it, it I mean the way that I I'm showing you pictures of you practicing on screen right now, and the hours and hours that you practice, and it's so meditative. It's, it's almost like Tai Chi or yoga in that way. I imagine. I haven't done calligraphy yeah. myself.
1: I know many people say, oh, it's, well, it's meditative. And, and it is. And, it's, and it seems so calm. But you, especially if, you, if you're, uh, say, working on a test. And, and there were you know, tests when, when you study with a, um, a, a teacher. And, oh, it could become very stressful. <laughs> really, really stressful. And especially if you were doing a piece where, let's say, yeah, one piece would have, you know, 50 characters and you would get to character 48 and make a mistake. And you might not see it, but I'd see it and certainly my teacher would see it and just start start over again. But even for, you know, sometimes for the simplest lessons, I would easily do 50 pieces um, and be then ha- have to choose three that I would. I felt confident enough to show my teacher, and then she would choose one, or he would choose to choose one. And 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 then that's really what the experience was. But yeah, I I, I think you only do something like that if you absolutely uh, love it, and and I did. I mean, no no one was forcing me to do it, so I I, I did it because I loved it and still love it
0: yeah that's wonderful. And I think it's one of those things um the more you do it, the more you see it, right? It's like when you learn how to do it yourself, you appreciate it so much more, right? yeah that's
1: absolutely true. that's absolutely true. and And of course, in Japan, there's calligraphy all, all around you all the time,
0: yeah. So there's a lot to appreciate. Do you feel like your Japanese reading ability has, well, your writing no. ability certainly has come on, but how about reading as well? No, absolutely terrible.
1: And, and you know, I, I sometimes say I, I can write anything with a brush, but to write Japanese with a pen is, for me, it's, it's well, I don't want to say it's a nightmare, but. I, I just never enjoy the experience. And, and I'm not uh, particularly good at it. And, of course, and I know what good uh, writing is. But my reading, no, I cannot sit down with a Japanese newspaper and read it or, you know, a, a novel or, or something. I, I write things, you know, you know, poetry or, you know, sutra, things, you know, that are a thousand years old or, or something. It, it, it has no practical um, application.
0: It's kind of basically just a visual art in the way calligraphy is done is that right?
1: Uh, uh, correct it, it, it is visual uh, uh, there are people of course who write it as, as poetry and um, uh, people who exhibit and who have developed their own uh, styles but uh, I, I write it uh, mainly to I would say copy the, the masters. That's what my study was. But now I, I've developed something of my own style. You know, I, I I get to decide now since I don't study, you know, uh, what, what it is I, I, I write. But I can say now that I, I become playful with it in, in, in a way. Still uh, quite serious, but there's really... Quite, um, yeah, a transition or passage from being a student to allowing yourself to, to write free, freely. And, and that's really taken me years to do, years after, you know, ceasing to study.
0: Yeah, I, I imagine you're much more comfortable with a brush for sure after so many years of practice do you think in in let's talk more about your past and how you were a dancer for a very long time mm-hmm. um tell us about your history and dance how you started
1: well i started in high school uh, which is already very late but i actually loved it and i studied martha graham technique and i uh, for a time, I, I, I studied at the Martha Graham School. I, I won a scholarship there. I attempted to enter Juilliard uh, as as a dancer, was not successful uh, at that. But also, I just found that as much as I love dance, and I guess I had some ability and skill, trying to be a professional dancer in New York City was more, more than I was prepared to do, uh, and and I, I realized uh, after a, a few years that there was pretty much no way I, I w- would become a, a success uh, at, at it. Certainly, and without applying myself more, uh, studying more, and I, I was really studying um, quite a, quite a bit. But the fact that that I'd also begun uh, quite late. Uh, was, was um, yeah a yeah strike against me in, in, in some ways but it, yeah I, I still continued uh, to love dance as uh, I, well well I, I still do dance but that, that's a, a different thing I, actually I do hula now but um, I, I taught Marthogram technique in, in Hamamatsu for about ten years.
0: yeah I'm showing that now from your book uh, your dance class, and your students there. And I read in your profile that you're doing hula. I'm originally from Hawaii, so I was really happy oh, to hear no. that.
1: No. <laughs> that's something else I wish I had started younger.
0: Well, it's, it's, hula is a wonderful dance to do at all ages, I think. That's There's true. different it's levels, true. right?
1: Yeah, that's true. I absolutely love it. And I have such a wonderful teaching, a wonderful class. Yeah, it is... Um, it's it, it's a it's a great dance form and it really is
0: that's wonderful and i I love that part of your book where you're talking about the difficulty in connecting to some of the local women and then your struggles with uh being a volunteer on the PTA eventually you give in and become a part of the PTA. And then you have a big dance party and it's the first time you've ever experienced women letting loose and dancing. And yeah, I that, think that that's such a beautiful part of the book. I love that so much.
1: Yeah, that, that was great. fun. I, I, I remember that party still <laughs> it was really a lot, a lot of fun. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And then um, you you also relate dance back to your relationship with your husband. And how you dance together after dinner, and and that's yeah, part that's of your relationship. Still
1: true. <laughs> I wish you could you could see it sometime. <laughs> because, yeah, actually, just last night uh, uh, after dinner, Bill Billy said uh, to me, "Oh, look at look at my look at my new moves." <laughs> and we were both in the kitchen. He, I don't know, just did a few steps or whatever, but. We don't do that every night, but we do it a lot. We, we really do, and sometimes I, I'm dancing alone, and he knows what I like, and he'll he'll put you know on, on some music, and you wouldn't know I was cleaning up after dinner or something like that because it's like a party, and it's just it just yeah changes the mood, the feeling. I, I I can can do the cleanup but at the same time I'm, you know, moving to yeah, Sade or in some other you know, great dance music that I that I love. And he, he almost always after dinner he, he puts on dance music.
0: That's wonderful. I love that. Keeping your your romance alive, keeping your relationship alive.
1: Well, <laughs> well I, I guess that's a part of it too, yeah.
0: I found that a really powerful part of your book when you, I don't want to give everything away about the book. Everybody should go and read it right now. (laughs) Go and buy a copy. Um, But I I did, I could relate so much when you're talking about feeling so unhappy um, with he was gone so much and you were raising the kids on your own and going through a real struggle um, with that, I think a lot of women in Japan can definitely identify with that feeling like a single parent, right? Uh, yeah, well, single uh,
1: parent was one, but just also just um, feeling so alone and um, living as we were, so isolated. and I mean, it's one thing to be alone or and, and to have solitude, but it's another to think, well, there's really not anyone. That you can meet, see, talk to, sit down with, and and you're just uh, there, you know, with yourself, your thoughts, and of, of course, if you have children, you're you're, you know, uh, tending to them, but you don't. Yeah, I, I just feel there were you know great periods where I never had that sense of. Yeah, you know, release really of just being able to talk with, you know, a, a close friend and, you know, share my feelings, what I was going through, what I was thinking about, what I was struggling with, or even taking jo- joy and, and just, um, yeah, you're, you're uh, alone. And, and the, I, I, I think that that's quite hard.
0: Yeah. Um, going back back to the book a little bit, it's it's incredible that you were writing about things that happened so long ago. Now, it's not just about a book about Japan. Japan right. is maybe only half of the book. Um, right, it's
1: not a whole book, yeah, at all.
0: And so you talk about when you were 19 and going to Europe and how that kind of opened the world to you.
1: Yes, and... Fortunately, I have a good memory, and it's not because I eat ginkgo nuts or whatever I think they're supposed to help your memory. But I I remembered quite a bit, and I I was glad I could, yeah, you know, bring bring that to life, um, and you know, write in detail about uh, some of the experiences I, I had beginning at age 19 when i when I went to europe for the first time and really discovered there's a whole world i had no experience of i couldn't say i didn't know about but i had absolutely no experience of, of and i was thrilled to discover absolutely thrilled
0: yeah it was really interesting and i i wrote a note to myself here how can she remember so much in great detail? Like, it's really incredible to me. Were you keeping diaries?
1: No, you wish.
0: <laughs> well, I had
1: diaries uh, when I w- was a young girl, but I also uh, write about the fact that they were lost in a, a fire in my f- father's uh, apartment. But even when you know we were living in Japan, uh, I kept a journal some of the time, but I, I've never been a, a person to, to really, I would say, in, invest the time in, in keeping a journal and making it just part of, of my writing routine. I, I think I was just able to... Delve into it to my memory and, and bring up those things. There's a point early in the book where I, I write about my childhood and mention my dolls and roller skates and ice skates and a ballet dress. And I could tell you the dolls' names. I don't. I don't write it in the book, but that that's how vivid uh, it was. And there, I mean, all kinds of details that that I left out just because. I, I couldn't write about absolutely everything and I, and I had to yeah, limit some of the uh, detail to keep the word count <laughs> under control, really. But some, some things, in fact, um, I, because I, you know, I worked with, with an editor and they would, uh, she, she would ask me, well, say like when I was in France. And Bill and I made uh, or, or helped make this meal for uh, this uh, Frenchman what we were living with for, for a short time. And the editors uh, said, "Well, what what did you make?" And I I thought, well, are the readers going to be interested in that part? And she essentially said. That, that's what will bring the story alive for readers, uh, bringing in, in, in that detail. And since I could remember what we made, I just thought it wasn't important I um, then that then I included it. But I'll tell you, Joy, I, I felt the same about just the part where we were traveling. I thought, well, you know, we went here, we went there, and in Bulgaria this happened, and I you know, lost the key, and... Um, in, in Iran, we, we met the man who invited us to have tea, and Billy, and, and he played chess. And, and I thought, oh, who wants to hear this stuff? I almost cut that whole part out. <laughs> really, I just thought, who's going to you know, be interested in, in that? And, of course, I hear from readers you know, that they think uh, this the most fascinating part or one of the most fascinating parts of the book.
0: Yeah. I mean there were so many parts of your travel travelling with Nanao who's so young and um I did a lot of travelling we did a lot of traveling when my son was was little. So there's so Mm -hmm. many things that I could identify with sleeping in the car, uh, not not feeling 100 percent safe. So Billy would be watching out for you guys um, uh, in certain parts. You know, I mean, there's there's so many interesting takeaways. Plus, you met like a few very famous people, which you drop in the book and you never seem starstruck you just meet them as like par for the course. So yeah, they're just normal people and that was well, quite interesting. The thing about meeting famous people, you find that they are normal
1: people. Yeah, I I, I wasn't... I don't know if it's a parting of, of my personality or what, but they're just people. Joe Heller, the author of Catch-22, was just a nice guy, just a great guy, so friendly and Quick to laugh, Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton were warm and generous and uh, entertaining to t- I didn't say the very least. I, I write in the book about that afternoon with them. It was, yeah, it's now what forty years later. I, I, I you know forget how many years, just. Yes, yeah, such a, a lively experience of, of interacting w- with these very well-known people, uh, Roberta Flack. And I, I met Roberta when she was uh, played a concert here. I just went in the, in the back <laughs> backstage because it was at a time when there wasn't anything called security or people were worried about this or the things were closed up. And I just went to her uh, dressing room, and she was taking off her makeup and you know, changing. And I said, Roberta, hey, something. and something. And she just said, hey, back, and said, I, I, you know, I'll be out in, in, in a minute. And we've had a friendship for 40 years
0: just starting like that. You know? Wow. Amazing. Uh, yeah. we, we had a quick comment from Mo saying, Native New Yorker representing. Thank you, Mo. Uh, <laughs> <okay>. All right. <laughs> so you met Roberta Fleck in Japan, and then also John Denver visited right. your country house and was in a, a local festival. I love that part of the book.
1: Yeah, that was great. No, It was wonderful. And As I write in in the book, of course, I knew of him and knew knew his name, but I I told him to his face, I said, I I know you're well known and and famous, but I I couldn't name one of your songs. And he said, oh, really? (laughs) He said, what about Jet Plane? I'll never forget it. And I said, oh, wow, I love that song. I love that song. And then he named some more. I I just never made the the, uh, association. But he was an absolutely lovely person, lovely, lovely person. I, I was glad we, we had that opportunity, and he loved where we were living. And again, in that old farmhouse, <laughs> John Denver, too, did not have hot water or a flush toilet or you know a separate room or anything, but he just, just loved being out in the country.
0: Yeah, beautiful. Well, let's talk a little bit more about that country area that you lived in because that was such a pivotal part of your life in Japan and seemed to be a reason why you thought about leaving but also thought about staying. So you have the the push-pull, it seems like, in the book.
1: I never thought actually about leaving Japan but leaving the, the countryside and, and, and we did, because we moved into the city of Hamamatsu for seven years. And yeah, and, and that was, was wonderful. Because there came a period, and I write a, a, about that yeah, in, in the memoir, when I was expecting our fourth child, uh, my youngest daughter, and I just realized that our life wasn't making sense. It just—it seemed crazy. <laughs> After a while, not to, why? Why don't we have hot water? <laughs> I mean, everybody else in Japan has hot water. This is not making sense, you know. Really, and uh, I was uh, starting to write, uh, and I, I was starting to write for Chunichi Shimbun. I, I was a columnist uh, for them for about fifteen years, and I was just beginning, and not. Being able to have any help, uh, you know, babysitting help or household help or, uh, you know, help uh, w- w- with you know, the many chores in, um, in, in a in a large house and when with a large family, I just thought, well, if, if I move to Hamamatsu, I'd, I'd be able to change my my situation rather than. I mean, why would I just stay where we were because we were there if I felt I was trapped or that it w- it wasn't working any longer? And, and th- that's basically what it was. It worked for a long time and it was great, but I was completely aware when I felt this is no longer working. It's not working for me, which means it's not working for my family.
0: Right. <laughs> yeah. We have
1: to change, yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, We have a nice comment now. Hi, Karen. This is Stephanie in Seattle. Loving seeing you. Congratulations on your wonderful memoir. Enjoyed reading it thoroughly.
1: Stephanie, kisses to you. She's an old old friend, also went to the same high school. Dear, dear friend. And I'm so happy we're, we're still in touch.
0: That's wonderful. Thanks for joining, Stephanie. It's great to hear from old friends on on a live stream. Isn't that magic? Technology. Yeah,
1: Technology. The good part.
0: <laughs> the good part, yeah. yeah. The part that works. Um and it looks as she says, kisses and hugs to you. That's nice.
1: Yes.
0: Um, so talking more about the countryside, so you were, was it also Hamamatsu where Breastpocket Mountain? The,
1: it, it's, Ham, Hamamatsu um, or uh, I live in Tenbyu, and Breastpocket Mountain, Futogoroyama is in Tenryu, but I, I don't know, maybe it's about 10 years ago it merged with the city of, of, of Hamamatsu. So this is now all considered a Hamamatsu city. But I assure you, this is not a city. It was never, <laughs> even Tenju was called Tenju city. Uh, no movie theater, no cafe, no bookstore. I, 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 can, I can name all the the no's, the things that we do not have that you would expe- expect in, in, in a city. But this this is considered Hamamatsu.
0: Yeah, I, I love the part where you're talking about the kotatsu as being the center of the house, and you were a bit skeptical at first about whether you needed it, and then it became like a, a part of your life that you could not live without, right?
1: You could not live without. Well, and it was the way to, to stay warm in a house where you don't have uh, any heating system. But they're, they're actually quite effective, uh, as long as you're sitting at them. When you get up, the house is it's freezing, <laughs> absolutely freezing in, in, in winter time. I can remember changing the baby's diaper in the middle of the winter, in the middle of the night, and they'd actually cry because your hands are so cold. you know, when when, when you touch them, that that's really how how cold the the house was. Yeah, and that's what it is when you don't have central heating.
0: Yeah. So in your house now, which it looks like you have built from scratch, is that right?
1: Yeah, from scratch. I mean, certainly we didn't do it, but it's custom built.
0: And is it a bit more comfortable in all seasons?
1: (laughs) It's a lot more comfortable in all seasons. For example, instead of building a fire for the bath the way I did for seven years at Breast Pocket Mountain, now I push a button the bath fills up, stays at a, a set temperature, and that and that's that's all that's required. It's it's a lot more comfortable, of course. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I saw a, a short video included with maybe your home that you live in now in your Instagram, and it shows oh. your home now, and it looks like a beautiful modern but still very wood-themed Japanese yeah. home. It's really a
1: combination, and um, we're now in this house 30 years and still love it and and, and appreciate it. And I I mentioned in the book that it was designed by a friend of mine, a German architect, a woman who'd lived in Japan for a number of years, and she and I talked and got an understanding of what I'd like, what I thought would be comfortable for us as a family we shared a similar aesthetic and yeah um she built the, the house that that we we still love
0: Des- designed
1: cool. house, she didn't and built it of course it was a japanese construction firm
0: yeah it looks beautiful and uh very comfortable maybe a bit more than the breast pocket mountain but uh, a lot more, <laughs> a lot more. Let's talk about your family and your kids, and mm-hmm. raising kids. Because Nanao, Nanae, was it? She na, na, was na, 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 na. Na, na, na. She was born in Copenhagen.
1: In Odense. Oh, which is on the island of Funen, which is the the I I guess the second largest um, island. Well, maybe Upland is is larger. But, but Odense uh, uh, may be the uh, second largest city after mm-hmm. Copenhagen.
0: And you were doing a lot of cooking, like when you went to Europe, you were often, it was vegetarian cooking, very healthy cooking, ma- mm-hmm. macrobiotic cooking, and right. I'm, I've been a vegetarian and now a vegan for many years, and it, it was really surprising me that you were able to not only live that life in Europe or America, but also in Japan as well. Are you still a yes, chef I was. of sorts?
1: No, no. Well, I'm the chef in the family because I do most of the <laughs> cooking in this family. But not certainly not. I'm not paid as a as chef, that, that's uh, for sure. But I can even say I, I like to cook, but of course when you do it every day, it, it's it's a chore. But I love to cook for... When the whole family is together, or when we have dinner parties, that's a great joy. I really love to do that. But at the time when I went to Denmark and was working in that school, there was no idea even about vegetarianism, or that you could have a meal that didn't include meat. And especially the Danish diet was meat and potatoes. That was it. <laughs> that was really it. And I was a vegetarian at the time, and I'm not now, but uh, I, I thought I might starve <laughs> because almost the only thing I, I could have that was being served was uh, potatoes. But I uh, talked with the headmaster there and pretty much, I didn't, I didn't have to convince him, uh, he was open to it, To uh, to Say I, I said you know that I could produce healthy, delicious meals that I was sure the the students and faculty would be satisfied with, but that would sometimes not include meat. And he said, "Okay, because you know uh, the job is yours, and you know go go at it." But and they absolutely loved it. And they absolutely loved it. Um, you know, a, a salad, as, as I mentioned in the book. At the time, was practically an exotic thing in, in, in Denmark. Of course, that's not true now. Anyone who's <laughs> watching this now has been to Copenhagen where they have wonderful restaurants, of course. And one restaurant it has been number one in the world for um, a number of years now. But at the time, it was a pretty basic diet, to, to say the very, very least. But also, you know, when we came to Japan, Bill had studied microbiotics. He was one of the first people in the United States to, to be a part of that whole uh, movement. And he, he really got me interested in it. I wouldn't say involved because I was never part of the macrobiotic kind of community. But I remember one instance where he was explaining about macrobiotics uh, and, and the philosophy behind it. And at one point, he held up a pressure cooker uh, full of brown rice and and a pack of ice cream with, I don't know, clowns and balloons on it that belonged to uh, some roommates of his. And he says, he said, which would you rather eat? Which is food? <laughs> and I can quote him there saying that. And it was, you know, like, wow. Wow. Uh, okay, I get it, you know, the brown rice is, you know, solid food and this other stuff, uh, you know, is filler and sugar and, and all of these things that might not be, be good for one. In any case, I, I, I wouldn't say so much I, I was sold, but I, you know, I understood and I was, you know, able to follow that diet for a number of years in vegetarianism, but I, I tell you, Joey, we were really surprised, really, really surprised to come to Japan and have sometimes have Japanese friends sit at our, our table and we would serve them yin mai, which is brown rice, and they would say, What is this? Did not even know what it was had never eaten it, never tasted it, and we were under the impression, oh, this is what how Japanese eat, but it wasn't, it wasn't the case at all, so that was uh, something of an awakening for us.
0: Yeah. Wow. And I was really impressed in the book as well, although like very impressed that that you guys were both uh, well versed in macrobiotic diets, not only in Japan, but even before you got to Japan. But also how how simple you ate, like you're talking about at home and just having miso soup or some kind of soup with vegetables, rice and pickles was a normal meal
1: that was absolutely a normal meal uh, it was very very simple um, w- one of the meals I would make often was yudofu, you know which is basically just tofu cooked in, in a broth and and served alongside you know with brown rice or whatever and we, it was so easy uh, and of course healthy and I, I served it often but my children would tell me later much later, <laughs> that, that whenever that was served, that they would just go, "Oh no, like you know, not you don't <laughs> Of because they never said it to me, you know. But they would roll their eyes or whatever. But they they would say every, every time we'd served that they would say, "Oh no,
0: not you tofu again." <laughs> but they ate it, of course, yeah. And they benefited from it. How healthy I think they so. are, I yeah. Think so. There's a lot worse things you can eat. I mean, you know so many people in the States who don't even ever eat fresh food. And no. I i am so grateful that I, I'm living in Japan so long, raising my kids in Japan, where you have this concept of buying groceries on a daily basis, lots of fresh vegetables, whether you eat meat or fish or not. And uh, it's actually, if you cook for yourself, it's a very easy country to be vegetarian or vegan. That's for sure.
1: If that's true. There
0: Yeah. Um, so we've got about nine minutes left. <laughs> now, we've talked a lot about the book and about your life in Japan. What are you working on in the future? What are your current projects? You want to talk about that a little bit?
1: My current project is uh, the book. <laughs> I, I really can't look much further than that right now. It's it's barely out two months. As you know, it was independently published. And without a big publishing machine behind you, it's really up to me to, uh, to promote it. And so I'm I'm actually busy with that every day. Absolutely, every day. Really trying to get the book in front of readers. And I've been told by my husband, by my publicist, don't ever say this, but it's absolutely true, so I will. And that is, I don't care about selling the book, but I do care if people read it. I honestly, um, it, it means a, a lot to me for people to read it. I, I want people to read it. And, of course, how, how they can read it is if they buy it. I'm, I'm not giving the, the book away. But I, I, I feel it, it's a story that crosses borders and cultures and genders and ethnicities, et cetera. And, and, and I'd really like a lot of people uh, to, to read it. And, yeah, I uh, have a not just experience what I've experienced, but perhaps come to some of the understandings that that I have uh, after many years uh, of living uh, cross-culturally. So right now that that's really uh, my biggest project. since the book was published, there there are so many things that I, I think, and of course, you know, I spent a lot of time on, on it, and you know, w- w- with the editing. But I think, oh, maybe I should have included this or that, or and and there's only so much you can do, and it's really the limit. It's it's a, it's almost 300 pages, and every editor will tell you, do not go <laughs> go over that. So I you know I. I reined myself in, but uh, I still have some uh, other stories uh, to tell, and, uh, and I, I, I may still do that, but I'm trying not to think too f- f- far in the future right now. It's mainly to do do my best to promote the book that I, that I have written.
0: Well, it's a beautiful book, and I think you're doing a great job. Did you say you're working with your daughter on the Instagram promotion?
1: Right, uh, uh, she is my publicist. I, I and, and and my handler is what I'm calling. She says, "Do this, do this now. No, don't do that." I, I actually even got uh, several. And what would you? Not offers, but as soon as the book was out, I heard from uh, some uh, companies in, in the United States asking if I had the TV rights or the movie rights, and. And she checks it out and decides who's good and who's not, and th- the first the company that contacted us, she said, "No, they're not big enough. just, just forget about it. <laughs> you know? Wow. So, yeah, and I, I pretty much follow uh, what she says, but also about, you know social media. I have no experience with this. Just doing Facebook doing, doing my best.:
0: <laughs> Well, she's doing a great job. Is it, Lila? Your daughter? Uh, yes, yes, Lila. Lila. Yeah. And uh, yeah. she, she has put on your Instagram page, which is Karen Hill Anton, um, mm-hmm. short video clips with you narrating and showing photos and videos and excerpts from the book. And it's it's just really beautifully done. You can tell her she's doing a great job.
1: Oh, great. I will, I will tell her. Yeah. Oh, I don't know what I would have done without her, I, I, I can say, because uh, I, I would have been flailing in this world of social social media. It's, and, it's, it's,
0: and what a great compliment as a mother to have children that are happy to work with you <laughs> as they grow all, up. All my children <laughs> and
1: and my children's spouses have all played a, a part in, in one way or, or, or another. They've been very, very supportive. Of course sharing my, my book and, and story with you know, their, their platforms or friends or wh- whatever you would call it co- colleagues. And, and you know advising me that you should do this and you should um, you know post here and get in touch with, with, with this uh, group or that company. I, I get a, a lot of uh, very good advice from them.
0: That's wonderful. And you have such a big, beautiful, international family now.
1: Yes, I, I really do. It's it's my pride and absolute joy.
0: Nice. Uh, Mo has a question. Would you ever consider to write a children's book, Living in Rural Japan, from your perspective? I think it would be fascinating.
1: You know, someone else suggested... Um, a children's book. I've never thought about writing a children's book, but I wouldn't rule it out. Maybe that that is a, a, something that I I could do that you know would be interesting for for children, but I've never uh, ever thought about it.
0: Yeah it's it's really beautiful to see your family and uh like my family as well we don't have any well now you do uh, Japanese mm-hmm. people in your family but our core nuclear family is all America or England but we've based ourselves in Japan our kids born and raised here very very similar to to your story oh. right
1: yeah definitely they... Well, I, I, certainly now there are, are more, but, uh, and I mentioned this uh, in, in the book, and when we were raising children, there really weren't many. There really, really uh, weren't, weren't many. And I would have been thrilled to be in touch with other families where, in which both parents were you know, foreign. But because I, I think it makes a big, big difference if you have a, a, a Japanese spouse. Uh, really, uh, uh, I, I think a big positive and beneficial uh, uh, difference, and uh, of course, and, and that's not to romanticize what those uh, relationships or, or families are, but um, I, I think there are particular, yeah, challenges for a, a foreign family that's one, you know, one hundred percent foreign. Where both, both uh, parents are, are from another country
0: yeah i i don't think you talked about this in the book but for me one of the biggest hurdles was having a baby here and within one month i had to take that baby to the embassy to get a passport so that he could get a visa because he was basically illegal from birth is what i was told and i hope things have relaxed a bit but that was a very stressful month for me you know
1: Uh, uh, i don't remember is if we had to take the baby, him or herself, to the embassy. But I know there there is a you know a specified time in, in which you, you must register uh, the, the baby. But. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't remember that as as being uh, particularly uh, uh, challenging. But well,
0: good. Yeah. I'm glad it wasn't so tough for you. That was something that was really stressful for me, and that right. recently I've heard it, it has improved. They give you like two months leeway now. So that's a bit. Uh, which more, more comfortable
1: if you have to take a baby? It's like a one month old. like to do some anything with them.
0: And know? then of course, when you have to take their passport photo, of course they're asleep and they're telling you <laughs> their eyes have to be open. Without, <laughs> without a doubt,
1: <laughs> you've been trying to get them to sleep for twenty four hours or something, uh, but yeah to take that passport photo. They do not have their eyes open ever. I I could I still have their baby passport, so I, I could show you. Yeah. yeah, with the
0: closed eyes, or did you get their eyes open? It's crazy, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> so that that is our hour. Thank you so much for joining us and sharing it's your stories.
1: It's been an absolute pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me.
0: Thank you. And everyone, I encourage you to look on Amazon, uh, Amazon Japan, Amazon.com, many other booksellers and find this beautiful book, uh, The View from Breast Pocket Mountain. There's a lot of interesting insights and takeaways, not just from Japan, but so many important, I think, life messages that anybody can take on and be inspired by. So I highly recommend it. Um, You can also find more information about Karen on KarenHillAnton.com and KarenHillAnton on Instagram. Thank you so much, Karen.
1: Thank you, Joy.
0: Thank you for joining, everyone. Have a good day and a wonderful weekend. See you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.